Good morning. A spectacular day that we get to be part of here in the mountains. Great to see you indoors in a box with no windows. So well done. Good you're here. Uh, we're in the middle of a uh, series on the life of David. And uh, today we're going to look at this theme, living with integrity when you have been sinned against. Uh, room this size, virtually all of us in this room have sinned. And the reason I say virtually all is because there may be small children that wouldn't come out of that category. But it's also true that virtually everybody in this room has been sinned against. And if you've been sinned against, where attitudes and actions, unrighteous attitudes and actions have been pointed in your direction, there are some things that are part of feeling like we are the recipient of unrighteous behavior towards us. One is that we're innocent and the way we are being treated or thought about is undeserved. That we are injured by that behavior and action. That we are being misunderstood. And not only are we being misunderstood, but there's no opportunity or there appears to be no opportunity to actually correct the misunderstanding. And if we're actually being sinned against, it is often true that not only are we being hurt and misunderstood, but there is collateral damage that people we care about are being hurt as well because of the actions or attitudes that that are being taken towards us. And that's the place that David found himself. The scripture we're looking at today comes in the shadow of a great victory that David had Virtually everybody knows the story of David and Goliath, a young, a young boy who went up against the great giant of the Philistines and, and slew that giant. From there on, David's reputation just grew. The Bible says that in a parade, people were singing, Saul, who was the king, has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. Scripture tells us that a number of following battles ensued and David was following one success with another. Not only was he successful, but scripture tells us that all of Judah and Israel loved him. And in the midst of this great run of success, we're told that the king Saul began to be jealous. And his jealousy began to rage. So much so that twice, having lost control in the presence of David, he threw a spear at him. Should have been a tip-off that this guy was not entirely trustworthy. Brings me back to my memory of my brother when I was a teenager throwing a pitchfork at me. But I digress. He began to, the king began to put Saul into, or David into battles just hoping that David would be killed. And finally, the pitch, the fervor with which Saul sought David's destruction became so great that David went on the run. And when I mean on the run, I mean on the run. 
Scriptures tells us he went from place to place to place, and everywhere he went, there were spies there. There were people who would send back word to Saul where David might be, so he could never settle. He ended up with an army of about 400, and then an army of about 600 men who followed him and became loyal to him. But in chapters 18 through 24 of 1 Samuel, listen to the places he was at. First, he fled to Jonathan, Saul's brother, or Saul's son, whom he was a friend with. Then to Ahimelech, who was a priest. Then to a cave in Adullam. Then to Moab, where he left his family for safety. Then to a forest of Hereth in Judah. Then to Keilah. Then place to place again. And then a desert of Ziph. Then Horish. Then the desert of Maon. Then the strongholds of Engedi, which is where we find him in our passage of Scripture today. A man who had served faithfully and without cause had been driven out of his home and forced on the run to go from place to place. He was being sinned against. And it was as if he could not get out from under this oppression that he was living with. And then we find in 1 Samuel 24, the passage we're going to read in just a moment, Saul withdrew from seeking out David briefly because he found the Philistines were creating problem in another part of his country. And having taken care of that, he returned to his pursuit of David. And here we read 1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. When the Bible says that Saul took 3,000 chosen men, The phrases there mean that he took 3,000 hand-picked men who were considered his greatest warriors, kind of the Navy SEALs of their day. These were his top military people, and he gathered a special force of the best he had, so vengeful was he towards David. Also says here that uh, he found... He was looking for David and his men near the Craigs of the Wild Goats, which sounds like a rock band to me, Craigs of the Wild Goats, but uh, probably not. Uh, Never seen a rock band with a harp, so I'm guessing it doesn't really fit into this scripture. Um, Saul came to a cave, and the Bible says he went in to relieve himself, which in the Hebrew means he went in to relieve himself. And evidently, there was part of relieving himself that required him to dispense of his robe. Having laid it aside in this somewhat dimly lit cave, David snuck up and he cut off a section of Saul's robe. 
And that's where we pick up the story of three ways that David responded that give us insight onto how we, into how we respond when we feel we have been sinned against. Here's the first one. Maintaining a clear conscience. Verse 5 and 6 says, Afterwards David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. David purposed in his heart that even having been perpetually sinned against, he would remain a person with a clear conscience. He would make sure his conscience was pure. There's there's an aspect of when someone really gets just out of balance, driven by some obsession or addiction or attitude, and here we see Saul just driven to distraction by jealousy. We end up getting sucked into the vortex of that attitude and that dysfunction until we begin to actually function in a dysfunctional way in the, in the addiction culture. We call it codependency. We actually get, begin to function in a dysfunctional way as we're constantly relating to the dysfunction we're dealing with. But David discerned and purposed, I will maintain a clear conscience. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy said to Timothy, or said to Timothy, the end of the commandment is love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. When you read the story of Joseph, nobody was any more, any more sinned against than Joseph, where his own brothers sought to kill him and eventually sold him into slavery in Egypt because he had been favored by his father. The Bible says when he got to Egypt, he just purposed that he would do good. Instead of camping around the bitterness of the mistreatment he was receiving, he began to serve Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh's court. And he served Potiphar so faithfully that Potiphar made him the ruler of his house. And then Potiphar's wife lied about him, and he was again unjustly thrown into prison. So in prison, he began to serve the the, uh, keeper of the jail, so much so that Joseph was put in charge of the entire jail. And then he began to serve the keeper of the guard and the baker. And uh, who else was it? What? Yes, thank you. The sermon's going to get longer and longer if you all start participating. (laughs) They had dreams and he began to serve them. Then the Pharaoh had a dream and he began to serve him. And then when the chance to be reunited with his brothers came, the Bible says he wept. He was so moved by that. Now what does that tell us about Joseph? Joseph purposed to keep a clear conscience in his own heart towards God and towards his brothers even though he was being sinned against. When the guards came to arrest Jesus, the Bible says Peter, in response, cut off one of the guards' ears. Jesus, I know, no, no, this this isn't the way we're going to do this. And he chastised Peter and picked up the ear and healed the guard's ear. And when Jacob 
had deceived Esau out of his birthright and then stole his father's blessing. Years later, after Jacob wrestled with the angel, he sent, one of his, he sent some of his men to Esau and they met years later. Jacob was afraid, but he was tired of living with the, with the, the division between them. And the Bible says that when Esau saw Jacob, he ran to him and he hugged him and he wept. You have few things stronger in your spirit than a clear conscience. And when we're being sinned against, it is so easy to begin to react to being sinned against and begin to attack or try to tear down or destroy because you feel the unrighteousness of how you're being treated. And if we pursue that route, our own spirit gets weaker and weaker. David, in the midst of this oppressive sin, determined he would not return evil for evil and he would keep his own conscience clear. So I grew up outside of Williston, North Dakota, and Williston's, one, of, one of Williston's big days was band day, where all the bands from all the area schools would come and big march, and then the bands would play in the park. And uh, so I was hanging around with a bunch of my friends on band day. I was about 14, 15, I don't know, something like that. We, we burst into the Ben Franklin store. Now you got to... You know, you, not all this story will make sense if you're under 30. We burst into the Ben Franklin store right across the street from the Woolworth store. And I stole a squirt gun. So all of us chased around town, squirting each other with uh, water. And end of the day, I threw this, uh, what I suppose at that time was a 49-cent squirt gun away. After I graduated from high school, I went to United Crusade of Lowell Lundstrom and Williston, and I went forward and I gave my life to Christ. And after that decision, I felt that I should go to a Bible college in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which I was going to leave for in August. And you know what? All summer, the only thing I felt as I look back I could think of was this lousy 49-cent squirt gun I had stolen three years ago. Until it was the last day before I was going to leave for Minneapolis. And I thought, I, 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 I got to go back in. I got to go back into Ben Franklin and uh, talk to the manager and offer to pay for the squirt gun. And if I'm arrested on felony charges, so be it. And uh, so the day before I'm going to leave, I drive into Williston, 18 miles, and uh, park next to the Woolworth store. I get out, and who would be there? But Leon Arcan walking on the sidewalk. Now, Leon and I hung out all the way through high school. And Leon was my friend. He was also a clinger, which meant that once he kind of connected with you, unless he had somewhere to go, he just stayed connected. And I thought, surely he has something to do or somewhere to go eventually. So I just started going into all the stores I could think of, and we talk about stuff. We went to... Woolworths and Pennies, and I wandered around downtown, and then it became obvious that on that day, Leon had nowhere to go and nothing else to do. And I thought, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to have to go into Ben Franklin with Leon with me. He won't have any idea what I'm doing. So I walked into Ben Franklin, and Leon's there standing, I said, 
Went up to a cashier, says, the manager in? Yeah, yeah, my luck. The manager comes down, I explain, you know, band A, three years ago, I stole a squirt gun, and uh, I'm leaving for college, and I just, I need to pay for the squirt gun. Or, so I got a dollar, unless you want more, and he marched me up to the front counter and got behind the cash register and opened the till, and I paid him a dollar, and Leon's watching, I see no product, and I pay for this squirt gun. He says, thank you. No great words of applause at my wonderful integrity. (laughs) Thank you. And uh, I said to Leon, "Ah, I had to take care of a bill, (laughs) which was true, but... Um, I couldn't handle not having a clear conscience. And as a nuisance as that is, it has been my friend my whole life. The inability not to live with a clear conscience. And so when I had a job as a conference superintendent where I was on the road all the time for six years... And knew that many times I would be in places and cities where nobody knew me. I didn't decide I was going to live righteously. I decided I would never have a secret. You'd be amazed at the power of deciding you're never going to have a secret. And despite all the pain that David was enduring, he purposed that he would live with a pure, clean conscience. And that gives power to your soul. And when when, when Satan seduces us into some sin, he always minimizes the effects. And once we sin, he tries to hold us in it by maximizing the consequences. David says, I, I'm not going to take, I'm not even going to cut a piece from the robe of my king. I will not lift a finger against this man. So, when I'm being sinned against, purpose in your heart to maintain a clear conscience. Now, second, trust in the Lord for vindication. After, after Saul left the, uh, left the cave, David came out on the edge of the cave and he started yelling and talking to the king. And no doubt the king was surprised to see him. And they started having this discourse and David started declaring to the king how innocent he was, how he had served the king faithfully and that there was no reason why the king should be seeking his life. And then David says in this verse 15, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. In effect, David is saying, I want this to be right, but I'm not going to force it to be right. I'm going to wait for God to vindicate me. In effect, he was saying, I'm going to forgive the king 
and trust the results to the Lord. Forgiveness does not mean that it doesn't matter. Sometimes we think, well, you need to just forgive that. And we think in our hearts, you, you're asking me to treat, like, treat this like it didn't matter, like it didn't hurt, like it didn't do damage. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is releasing a person from my expectations and transferring the consequences to God and letting him deal with that person as God chooses. And so David was transferring to the Lord this desire for justice. The desire for justice was genuine. It was authentic. It was righteous. But he was transferring it to the Lord. Now, what, why does that make sense? Number one, because I'm a bad judge. The Bible says, I see through a glass darkly. I don't see everything. I don't see all that's involved in this issue. I don't see all the ways of God. And so it's better to transfer this to the Lord. Second, if I imprison somebody by my expectations, they almost always not only resent being imprisoned, but they try to reduce my expectations. And so I transfer all this to the Lord. Third, Often, in order to make it right when somebody has sinned against me, I demand or I treat the offense against me as greater than my offense against God. That's a pretty difficult place to be. I treat the offense against me as somehow greater and more serious than my offense towards God. And God tries to remind me of how much he has forgiven me. So, uh, so this week I was in uh, Billings for two days taking uh, some training on what's called the Culture Index. The Culture Index helps uh, organizations with staff uh, decide if the staff is in the right kind of places that suit how they're hardwired. And it measures four things. One is autonomy. Uh, like are they self-starters? Uh, most pastors of large churches score real high uh, in autonomy, like they're trailblazers. Um, one of the other things it measures is uh, sociability, or relate, our, our sense of relating to other people and whether a people person or not. Uh, a third thing is patience. And a fourth thing is detail. And it measures whether you're high or low. So you get really simple little graph. It's a little graph that just has four dots along a median line. And it tells you where you are with those four things. So I find out two things about myself, which were not a surprise, but nevertheless is true. Number one, in an organizational setting, I, I have low patience. I'll tell you what that means. In a, patience as a personal virtue is not the same as patience in an organizational setting. I may, be, I may have patience as a personal virtue, and most of my family would say that that is true, but in an organizational setting, I do not have patience. I'll tell you why I wouldn't have patience in an organizational setting. Because in an organizational setting, 
if a person is consistently underperforming or they're coming to work and they're throwing around their emotional and relational baggage, then if that is allowed to go on, the impact is, is cascading. And so now not only is one person misbehaving, they're affecting a second person who's affecting a third person who's affecting a fourth person who's affecting a fifth person. And now as a leader, I don't have just one problem, I have five problems. And I have five problems because I have allowed something to go on which should not have been allowed to go on. And in that kind of setting, I score low patience. Like either get it together or... Now that is married by my second married to my second traits which is I score high on details. By scoring high on details it means not only do I understand all the moving parts of an organization but I am particularly attuned to things being done right. To the sense of precision and orderliness and so Paul says do things decently and in order. So when you put the two together, it means, hey, you want to get things done and you're not very patient with people messing around when there's a good way to do it, so let's just get on the ball and get it done. Now a byproduct of that is, I hate being misunderstood because I have this sense of precision If I am misunderstood, it just drives me up a wall. And when it gets into this kind of territory, I want to rush to the point and clarify the issue. And there are times when the Lord says, leave it to me. And so when Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt and he could have gone to his brothers, he didn't. And you and I could stand in judgment and say, you know, you, you, I know you're a great spiritual leader, but you're in conflict with your brothers and you need to fix that. The Bible tells us Joseph wanted it fixed because he wept when he met his brothers. But in fact, he waited for God's time to bring reconciliation between him and his brothers. He waited for God's vindication. And then there's a third This is actually my favorite one. So he maintained a clear conscience and he trusted the Lord for vindication. But the Bible says in verse 22, he also acted wisely. So here's what what happens. When David starts yelling at Samuel, they decide they're going to meet and talk this over. uh, Excuse me, Saul. Saul admits that he's been wrong. He admits that David, David has been behaving, behaving righteously. He, he pleads with David that when David comes to power, he does not take it out on Saul's family. David agrees to this. It appears that they are reconciled. And then let's look at verse 22. So David gave his oath to Saul. And then Saul returned home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Like, all, all right, we're, it looks like we fixed this, but I, I'm still going to go to the stronghold. This is a guy who threw a spear at me twice, 
who has chased me all over the country, I'm not just going to hand away, give away my authority. So here's a spiritual principle for you and me. Don't give away your spiritual authority. He said, what, what does that mean? If, you, if you're a parent, you have spiritual authority to accomplish the spiritual task of your family. If you're a spouse, you have spiritual authority to accomplish the spiritual task, fulfill a spiritual responsibility with your spouse. Don't give away spiritual authority. So, um, so in another setting, in another organization, I was working with a person recently. And part of their job was to have a printout of a certain order and bring it to that meeting. And uh, so not too long ago, I showed up at that meeting and there was no printout. And I said, where's the printout? And they said, uh, the copy machine was out of ink. I thought, well, okay. The next week, we came to the meeting again, no printout. I said, uh, where's the printout? They said, well, the copy machine's out of ink. I said, let's go have coffee. And uh, I said, now I'm gonna, I, I want to teach you what you did. You had a responsibility before the Lord, and it's to, part of it is to bring this order to that meeting. And you gave your spiritual authority to a copy machine. And when you did that, you signaled to Satan anything you're doing in the spiritual world that might have productivity and spiritual consequence, you've, you've signaled to Satan how he can derail you every time. That you're just going to hand over your spiritual authority whenever there's a difficulty of any kind. You carry a spiritual responsibility. Don't give your authority away. And when David went back to the stronghold, he was saying, I've kept my own heart clear. I've trusted in the Lord for his vindication. But I'm not going to give my spiritual authority to Saul. I'm going back to the stronghold. So in this room, some of us have been sinned against, just as David. But in the middle of the circumstance you might be in, maintain a clear conscience. Trust the Lord for your vindication. And don't give away your spiritual authority. Let's set our things aside and bow our heads as we finish up this morning. Just as we wait for a moment, it's likely that during this time of reflecting on this scripture, the Lord has lifted something in your own heart and spirit to the surface something that was said and it resonated in your spirit and you heard it as soon as it, it hit your spirit. And the Lord said, this, this was for you today. And just take a moment and ask the Lord what he wants you to do about that. 
And we're just going to wait for a moment. Now, as we wait with our heads bowed in prayer, this might be the day when some of us want to cross the line of faith. And I'm just going to walk us through a little three-part prayer, and you can pray that prayer with me quietly where you sit, if that's what you want to do before the Lord. You could say, Lord, thank you for talking to me today. I've been sinned against. But instead of going to you, I've tried to handle it myself, and I'm struggling with bitterness, difficulty, and confusion because I'm handling it on my own. And Lord, would you forgive me? I am sorry for trying to walk this path by myself. Would you forgive me? Forgive me today. You can pray that as we wait. And you could say, Lord, I thank you that Jesus Christ came into this world, died for me and rose again so that I could have forgiveness and I could have life, eternal life, and that because of Jesus, you can come into this place in my life and replace the bitterness and the hurt with your grace and your mercy and your healing. Jesus, thank you for that. And you can express that right now. The Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any person hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to them. And you could say right now, Jesus, I open the door of my heart right now. Right where I'm seated, I open the door of my heart. And I say to you, Jesus, will you come into my heart? Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And you can invite him in right now. If you want to do that, do that as we wait. And our heads are bowed in prayer and nobody's looking around and no one's going to embarrass you. But if you've invited Jesus Christ into your heart today, he said he has come in and you have crossed the line of faith and you've passed from death unto life. And if you've prayed that prayer to honor the Christ who gives you life, would you just slip your hand up and put it down? Say, thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart and hearing my prayer. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you love us. For these who slip their hands up, I pray that you'll bring affirmation into their heart that they have, in fact, passed, crossed the line of faith, that they are a child of God. Help all of us, Lord, as we live in this fallen world to live in grace 
even when we've been sinned against. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.